Good evening, everybody. How are we this evening? <sighs> Super excited tonight. And guess what? I'm going to have a drink tonight. This, I've been really looking forward to this because I've been speaking to the, the guys that make it. Um, it's called Days. Uh, and it's and this is actually the first one um, that I'm going to try. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this tonight. And uh, uh, steady on, Delta Lima. Steady on. Don't, don't, don't jump the gun just yet, mate. Evening chaps, he's saying. I haven't even introduced our guest. I haven't even opened my beer. <laughs> Do you want to know who we've got on? Some people know who we've got on, and I'm really excited to bring him to bring him uh, to bring him on. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm open this in a minute. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait for a second. Um, and we'll, I'll tell you why I'm celebrating though, because. Uh, after months in the planning, um, today I celebrated the official opening and it seemed quite nice that it happened today as well. Uh, ironically, on the 1st of April, um, that uh, I, I managed to officially open Force Forward HQ. Um, so you might have seen the pictures in the, or the video earlier on. Um, it's a super cool place to um, environment that I've got it to base it ops ops base for force forward so um i'm gonna have a little drink with my guest tonight who is someone that i first met in 1989 um we were i had i had just turned 18 he was still 17 and all i, I do you know what i could introduce him with many a tale of when we got into bother, but it's easiest to just let him um, talk about his tunes and talk about stuff um, uh, because I, 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 my intro would be too long. Uh, I, I was 18, he was 17. We, we met um, at West Drayton when we were both going through our trade training um, to become Scopies um, and we developed a friendship that would end up getting us both <laughs> into a lot of trouble for so many different reasons and do you know what i don't regret one fucking minute of it at all so without further ado let me introduce to you mr paul blades come on in my good friend how are you good evening how are you i'm, you I'm very, very well Sorry? i've got to say congratulations by the way 40 days on the juice, and you look fantastic, mate. You look amazing. So, bravo for that. Well done. Well Thank done. And, Thank you very much. So, this is deserved tonight. Um, I think this is this is well deserved. So, I'm going to cheers. Cheers. All the best. Cheers. Yeah. Should we see who we've got in the house tonight before we crack on? I reckon there's about six people. <laughs> that oh, includes no, me and you. Says we've got says we've got eight so far. Um, the only thing with this is that I can't uh, I can't see who we've got on. We've got we've got Mr. Delta Mike Lima. He said uh, he says evening. Uh, so I'll I'll put this up and you can tell me what he means because I've got no clue. Fabio. Yeah. All right. That that was a nickname I gave myself when I was trying to become a DJ, which failed miserably. And at Mount Kent that we'll talk about later on, there was little scribbles in Chinagraph with Fabio. But it also, 
it, it meant something completely different. Because do you remember there was like a muscly guy with long blonde hair that called himself Fabio? Yes. And, and there was another DJ, very famous, Fabio Groove Rider, the two of them. So I'd sort yeah. of like that DJ. And of course, everybody went, no, you're going for that blonde look, muscly guy, which it wasn't. But, um, <laughs> so so that, that was, and, and, and maybe it might be that nickname. No, it didn't stick at all. <laughs> there's not much blonde hair and there's certainly no muscles so well look we've got um we have another one of our good friends is on tonight um he's been complimentary as ever as dan even in mr i always like the other dan pierce <laughs> i always like the other one huh? well oh. it, it was it was obviously i bumped into dan uh, uh last year or so it was nice to see Dan under un, un, unfortunate circumstances, but it was nice to see Dan. So, mm. but um, I caught up with him the other week. Actually, we had a we had a good um, we had a good natter. Yeah, um, yeah, he was on form. He said he'd be tuning in when you were on. I'm sure. Well, he sent me a message as well to say that he was going to rip me, and he was looking forward to this. So, uh, yeah. brilliant. All that Mr. Barlow's on as well with all the compliments under the day. One <laughs> <laughs> <Latin> deck. <laughs> Oh dear. Right, mate. Shall we crack on? Yeah, we can do. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, because I, I'm I'm excited about this. Um and so you know you know the deal with afterwards, um uh, that you know I, I kind of jump onto Instagram. The whole reason that I'm that I want this to become like a radio station where I can actually play the music, but I'll jump on Instagram afterwards and play a couple of these songs in the hope that um they don't shut it down, but I'll choose them. Yeah, and you can and you can probably take a guess at which ones I play. I might not even play the ones that are that you talk about tonight. Who knows? <laughs> Honestly, choosing four or five songs out of sort of that period was it's it's difficult. It's it, it's difficult, and and even the songs that I've chosen tonight, they're not. Um, there's not for a particular. There's not many that are for a particular reason. It's sort of like. The whole era. I could have chosen millions, literally millions. It was okay. Dick, by the way, me or you? I, 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 I don't think I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah. I want to know. He'll tell us. I'm sure he'll tell us. So I mean, kick us, off. Kick us off then. With what? What would you like me to start with? Oh, with, with Mel and Kim. Respectable. <laughs> It's very similar to Hammy's story when Hammy did the podcast. I've enjoyed all the pod podcasts so far, and I've been able to sort of pick from each of those. But Mel and Kim, it was out in 1987, but it's the 80s. It's that decade of the 80s. And in at the start of that decade, I was seven years old. 1980, I'm seven. Yeah. 1989, I'm 17, and I'm joining the Air Force. I'm joining the Air Force, and I was 17 and one month when I joined the Air Force. I So I was 17 in September, and I joined in October the 30th. Right. And I didn't get my choice. I, I always wanted to be aircraft mechanic. Not yeah. aircraft tech. I wasn't clever enough for aircraft tech. But aircraft mechanic. I wanted to work on Harriers. Right. So what happened then? <laughs> If you remember, they only did so many courses for things like yeah. technical things. And I 
the CIO told me, you've missed the course, choose something else. Okay. <laughs> the reason I knew about Trade Group 12 is, do you remember Mike Piers that was from Middlesbrough? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You might not want me to say this, but he used to be an air cadet, and I was an air cadet. And Mike had come back when he joined the RAF to give a speech about what he was doing. And he, he, all he said was aerospace systems operate. And I thought, I'm having that. That so, sounds fantastic. Yeah. So I went back down and, and I think at the time there was obviously a shortage of Scopies because they were taking anybody. It's, you know, and you could see that by the riffraff that was coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they first offered me YTS. Because at the time we were doing all the white, and I said, "No, I'm not. In, I'm not interested. I'm, I don't want YTS." And then the following week, I got a letter that said, "You go to Swindeby." So that first, so from when I joined until my next birthday, that was free of charge because your contract with the Air Force didn't start until you were 18. Mm. So, but I never wanted to be a Scorpio. I never. I wanted to be. I wanted to work on planes, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. Do you, do you remember what else you had to pay for the Queen as well? Because I, I was similar. I, I joined at, uh, at 17 and I did uh, 16 days, but I ended up doing 23 days for the Queen. Because every day that you did before your 18th birthday, you had to pay back at the end of your service. But there was another set of days that you always had to pay back. If you were unlucky enough to... um how do we say, uh, serve some time uh, <laughs> in in, uh, in some sort of detention, uh, yeah. shall we say, you had to pay that back as well. And I was, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to have seven days of those. So I ended up doing 23 days for the Queen at the end. Well, so there you go. <laughs> I, I never got into trouble with the police when I was at the airport. While in the Air Force, never actually physically, I was interviewed by them, but I was never actually formally in trouble with the police. And I only got charged four times while I was in the Air Force. Well, I, I, I remember one time I got involved quite heavily with the police and had to go and see some old woman and pay her 150 quid for a fence that I'd gone through with you and Osborne. And we got we were we were huckled by the police for that, and somebody managed to worm their way out of it. If you recall, I also remember a certain clothing guy <laughs> ran through the gates with no. If I remember correctly, with very little clothes on that night, we'd all been drinking down there. <laughs> if you recall that night, but yeah, we fell through that, and we had to go back and apologise. Mm. No, not we. I ended up going back to apologise with Oz. You were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I was very, very good at that, taking the sack. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> Where's Blitzy? He's gone. <laughs> and I think my charges in the Air Force were ridiculous. The ones that I... And the very similar, again, taking something from Steve's podcast, he got into trouble for sleeping in. Three of my four charges were for sleeping in. Yeah, most of mine were. The first one was when with Sergeant Dot Haynes when I got caught in um, the WAF block. The WAF block. <laughs> and, I, and I walked into the rugby club, the, the Donkey Swamp Bar, and I went in. I've just been charged with being, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" There's drinks flying, and 
Yeah. So that was that's the so it's the, that kind of era that that's um, that's where the like, Mel and Kim comes from. It does. The eighties for me was was great. It was I, I could have chosen a million songs, a million songs from them, but I do like a bit of Mel and Kim. I do like that song. It does get me <laughs> on the dance floor even now. It's the embarrassment of my kids. So it is, it is. It is one of them. It's like do you know? It's funny um, because I had this conversation with with Karen as well. I. I've always kind of gone, not an 80s fan, not really an 80s fan. And I remember digging out like a whole load of my vinyl. I never threw out any vinyl. I've continued to buy it um, yeah. backed. Uh, and we went through a whole load of vinyl. And she was like, if you don't like 80s music, what's this? This isn't mine. She's thrown me like Deacon Blue albums. She's yeah. thrown me one. She's thrown me Love and Money. She's thrown me Hue and Cry. And she's like, 80s, 80s, simple minds, 80s, 80s. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I suppose I do like some 80s music. So, All yeah. them bands that you've just mentioned, I love. My old man used to work in um, Saudi Arabia, and he used to come back with all the um, cassettes. And they were, yeah. they were bootlegged, but it was the first time I heard the album Once Upon a Time, Simple Minds, um, yeah. Rain Town Deacon Blue, which yeah. they're fabulous. And Rain Town Deacon Blue... Got me through the four the the, the um, four months down the Falklands. That was one of the albums that I used to go back and listen to quite a lot. Still love it. I'd still no, love it. no it's a yeah. absolute class. That really is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. What 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 are um, what are some of your uh, some of your early memories of that time of kind of joining up? So I only I, <laughs> so Swindeby, okay, yeah. I've got two stories here. So Wednesday we went. So my mum, dad waved me off at the train station. Wednesday. I was back home on the Saturday. They were expecting me to go off and do sick. Obviously, we were given the weekend off, so I'd literally been in the Air Force for three days and then back. Yeah. Week four at Swindon, Mary Corps was MFT, military field training, right, when we all had to sleep out, get gassed. I indeed walking across a field. I was, and it was the old SLRs, and I was yeah. playing the safety catch, and I allegedly tripped. I didn't. I was squeezing the trigger, and bang, it went off. Everybody drops. Everybody hits the deck. The next day, I'm up in front of the squadron leader, and she was no bigger than Dot Haynes, this squadron leader. She was, and she asks me who I am, what my service number is, and what trade I'm going to be in. She told me if I wasn't going to be Trade Group 12 Aerospace, I would have been kicked out the Air Force. The fact was there was a shortage of Scorpies, and she was like, we've got to keep. So my career was nearly over in four weeks of being in the Air Force because of that. <laughs> and so, and it, so can you imagine if I had been an aircraft mechanic, I would probably never have been one anyway, because if I'd have done that, it would have been over and done with. And... Yeah, that's that's something that uh, that's something that we have in common, um, because although it ha this happened with me, I guess ND for any, I, mean, I think everybody watching knows exactly what ND is. But for anybody that's maybe not military, that that, that kind of that does watch this, neg negligent discharge, right, is is what yeah. ND stands for, and I, technically, an, uh, an, a negligent discharge is a, is a round that is let off that is not under the control of the person that is holding the, the rifle. And 
Um, what many people don't know, I, 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 I know one person that will know this, and anybody that's got this far in the book, there is a little bit that is inspired by an occasion that I had in the range. I don't know if you remember. Um, and we had all we we all had um, agreed that we would we would run, uh, and that we would. Uh, it was when we had to like we were given the command. We had to like get down into the prone position really quick. And I was I was running um, when they shouted. I had kind of got a little bit behind, and so I I launched myself at the. Um, uh, I was about ten meters shy of the um, of the like the the pits that we had to to kind of get down in and I launched myself and I actually um like tried to get into the position where I, I was able to whilst I was in midair and I let a round off before I had even hit the ground but I was in the like almost in the prone position midair and of course what happened was when it went off it went in my shoulder and because I didn't have any control it went up in the air and I, because I was coming down whilst it went up, the round caught the wooden post that was right. I, I was there that day. <laughs> Stop! I remember that day. Because there was another incident where there was a round that had a crack in it and they had to get new rounds and mess around with that. But I used to love going to that range because it was on if, Aberdeen Beach and they used to put you on the posts on the beach. And, yeah. you supposed, and you just sat watching people on the beach mucking around and you weren't bothered about what was going on behind. Here's a question for you. What's the most bizarre thing that you did whilst you were at the range? I know what you're getting at, but I never did that. <laughs> I know exactly what you're getting at, but I wasn't the ones that did that. Not in the North Flag, no? No, I know. I, I think I know one of the guys, one of the Scottish guys, that did do that, but it certainly wasn't me. Certainly wasn't. <laughs> There's probably still DNA evidence there if the range is still there. So, um... oh, uh, right. L listen, before we move on to your next song, there's a couple of people on. Um, Haley. Hi, Haley. Hi, Haley. Um, we've also got uh, Mo's having none of it. He's saying who wasn't interviewed by the police at Bucking. I'm not saying I wasn't interviewed. All I'm saying is I never, I was never in formally in trouble with the police. And don't forget that I used to live next door to the police as well, right? You did. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah, which was quite strategic, I think. Yeah. What was the most interesting thing you did in the house whilst living next door to the police? There was a lot... Of don't forget, before I was married to a customs officer, so there was a lot of things that went on in there. So, um, <laughs> should we move on to the next song? Let's move on to trade training at RAF West Rating, shall we? <laughs> oh dear! Hi, Beverly. Um, we've got Bev's on. Uh, oh, Mister Back in the house, supporting, supporting. Um, uh, hey, well, we were here. I know, look. Oh, my Lord, look who else we've got on. Uh, it's me, Tracy. Hey, watch. Here we go. <laughs> Hello. Watching around. Um, Gary Glitter, still more socially accepted than military police. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here, here. Could, do you remember? I'm going to, I'm, I'm jumping forward here. Do you ever remember the, um, the snowball fight that we had with the RAF police. Um, so you 
when we moved from. I remember a food fight. Sorry, I remember a food fight. There was a snowball oh, fight. I do, I do remember a snowball fight? Yes, and it was literally the RAF police against everybody else, and they got absolutely mullered by all of us. I think every scorpy who wasn't working was out. Spike. Here we go. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, I, I have I have quite a few. I nominate that you get Andy Holmes on next because I can only imagine he'll trump every single story that anybody has. How's about it, Andy Holmes? Are you up for it? He is. He's got to have more stories than anybody else. <laughs> so, okay, listen, I'd love to have him on. I'd love to have him on. We'll speak to him, see what he says. We're um, going obviously. So I joined up as a 17-year-old. Then I went to trade training at West Drayton. And, yeah. and obviously, I'm, at that time, I'm still only 17 and three months. And the first person I meet is you. And you would, I just remember, the, I don't remember who else was on your course, but I just remember the three of you. There was Chris Hills, yourself, and Pat Penn. Yeah. There was also the, um, what's his name? Uh, Mal Winnie. Okay. I, all I remember about your course was you three, because you were in, obviously you were in the the, the, the six man room that was next to ours. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and at Swinderby, if you remember at Swinderby, you had a green ID card and an orange ID card, which meant you were over or under eighteen. So at yeah. Swinderby, I didn't drink even before I joined the Air Force. Of course, I'm, I'm, I was too young. As soon as I got to West Drayton. That's when I started to drink. Yeah. That's when I started to drink. Yeah. That, look, look who else. He was on that course. Oz Smith. You remember Oz Smith? I do, yes. I do now. Obviously, you know, he, he, was, he, was my, he was my senior man, and I caused him so many problems. I was a little shit. And I, he was always getting it in the neck for us. He was. He, he, I remember to start with, he was always standing up for us and going, "I'll sort them out. Leave it with me." And then eventually, he was like, "Let you boys, <laughs> you're on, you're on your own. <laughs> you're, a, you're a pair of idiots." <laughs> Let me tell you how serious Trade Group Twelve was with its trade training. Right, my instructors were Di Dempsey and Mallow May. Right, yeah. It was an absolute comedy show for the eight weeks that we did trade training, right? The final exam, they literally did it for us. And what I mean by that is if you didn't know the answer to a question, and I was telling more this, so you had multiple choice, A, B, C, D. And if you put corporal, I don't know what this is. And if the answer was B, ah, stop being a bastard. <laughs> a was uh, I can't tell you what they used for C because obviously it's but and that's how they got us through the trade training final exam is they actually helped us by being I don't think you could do it now with being politically correct and all that but <laughs> one I tell you what one of the most memorable stories the other day is when we did the Watersham Neat Z trip did you ever do that in trade training yeah, yeah we did we did I, I remember Watersham. I don't remember Nita Z because we literally drank. We did, we did, we did Watersham. Watersham Nita Z. We drank. Now, 
it was encouraged as a 17 year old. You were never told off for underage drinking. It was almost encouraged that you, like, Blades, why aren't you drinking? Are you sick? Get drinking. Yeah. And that full trip, we were legless, absolutely legless for the full two day trip. It was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And like I said, Di Dempsey and Mallow May, cracking, cracking. What a great introduction to the RAF that they were your trade training. Hey. You know, honestly, absolute fucking comedy show. Absolute comedy show for, you know, the old book, Secret Lessons. You could find more out by reading the newspaper than what you learned in the secret lessons. <laughs> it was, you know, and they used to come up with a bullshit spread. Did you get that on trade training? <laughs> no, I, no, I don't remember that. Should we talk about your next song before I show there's So there's another comment, which I, I, I will bring up. Uh, once, once we talk about the who in five fifteen, because it, it'll it'll maybe just um, uh, follow on quite nicely. Okay, so the who five fifteen. I met a guy, not like that. I met a guy at West Drayton, and we got on really, really well. And then I didn't see him again until Ref Ash when we went to do the um, like further training when we went from one piece of kit to the next piece of kit. Yeah, And this guy introduced me to the album Quadrophenia by The Who and the movie. Yeah. And it was Jim Haunt. Now, Dave Large knows Jim Haunt very, very well. And anybody that's met Jim Haunt, you As will well, Andy Holmes. Yeah, you will net And Andy Holmes, and, and there were some great guys at REF Ash. I mean, Dave Cowley was down there, Davey Large. Um, see, Andy Holmes, Ash. Honestly, the, Stu Green is well, fantastic people, and the REF had a really good habit of putting REF bases next to summer holiday places. And when we went to REF Ash, so it's Manston and uh, it was um, Margate and Ramsgate. Yeah, unbelievable. And if you remember them courses, you did day shifts and night shifts, but the night shifts you were finished by, I think nine o'clock. So everybody's just out on the lash, and. Honestly, Jim Haunt at Ash, he used to come up and start pretending to cut. Now, I'd just come down and I hadn't seen Jim for a long time. And all I feel is somebody get in the chair behind me, the chair that I'm sat in, and start pretending to cut my hair. Yeah. <laughs> and I turn around. And what Jim Haunt used to have a really good thing of doing is miming words to you. So if he said hello, he wouldn't actually say hello. He'd mime it. And it used to, <laughs> it used to be cre quite a creepy thing. But what a great guy to go out and have a drink with. The, the amount of women that used to try and beat him up and throw him through shop windows because he'd just, he'd upset them. Honestly, what a great, he was such good fun, Jim Haunt. But imagine being an AC at 17, meeting Jim Haunt. It was, it was just an unbelievable experience. And it was him that introduced me to Quadrophenia and the Who. And wow. he used to let me... I used to go back to – when we came back to Buchan, I used to go back to Ash uh, for per, like, to go and see somebody. And Jim used to let me stay in his room all the time, and he'd move out. So really, yeah. really bloke. Lost contact. After Ash, we sort of – again, after West Drayton, we lost contact. We saw each other at Ash. Yeah. And then after Ash, he sort of drifted. I, I, th I don't think Jim stayed in much longer after that, if I'm – Andy Holmes and Dave Large will be able to tell you, but I don't think he stayed in much longer after that. I was on uh, I was on watch with them uh, for a while at uh, Nita Z. 
Oh well, he uh, must have stayed in a long. He must have stayed in longer than what I thought then. Yeah, because we we would uh, we would uh, we did quite we had quite a few nights out in the waterfront at uh, at Nita's Edge. Jim was quite partial to the to the waterfront. Um, yeah, the guys are asking about they're asking about Ash. Uh, Mr. Fairclough said X. Uh, Mo's asking about day trip to Cali. Did you do? Did you do one of the day trips to Cali? I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember going on one and getting in an awful state. No. I, I, didn't do one. I tell you what, there was enough to do at RAF Ash, or enough to do around Manston, Ramsgate Market. I used to like Whitstable as well and all around there. There were some great pubs, great restaurants around there. Yeah. But again, if you think of where the where all of our bases are, they're all in frigate. Stacks and Wall, that used to be from fucking Scarborough. It's another seaside town, you know? You've got Bulmer in Annick, which is another holiday destination. So the RAF can only blame itself that we all became absolute hooligans and drinkers because they put us in that situation, you know? Yeah. yeah. Good times, though. Good times, mate. Oh, honestly, if I remember rightly, and Andy might be able to say, I'm sure Andy Holmes, was Andy Holmes at Buckham when we got there and then left? I think, I, I'm, I am almost certain that, he 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 was there and left very very soon after we arrived. Um, it seemed to be sort of like all of us young ones arrive, and people that had been at Booking for like a year, two years, they were like your likes of Jez Lawton. Yeah, they were all like moved out, and then sort of like we, we were like the next wave to come in. Yeah, I'm I, I'm sure I'm sure Andy was there briefly, yeah. Um, but he'll yeah. Because it was, I arrived in January of 1990 and you were February, weren't you? Yeah, so I got to West Drayton just before December and then, of course, there was the the Christmas holidays. Yeah. Well, it wasn't it wasn't eight weeks. I think mine was ten weeks because of the two weeks off. And yeah, there you go. Look, no, we, ju we just missed him. Just, just missed him. Okay. Yeah. But obviously his name, obviously used to hear the name Spike all the time, Spike, so it, yeah. There was a lasting impression. But trade training, there was only six of us that qualified and five of us went to Buchan and one went to Nita Z. Right. Who, who went to Nita Z? Kathy Bourne went to Nita Z. Yeah. Myself, Pat Malloy, Bev Arnold, Lisa Whitaker, Helmut Wormold all went to Buchan. Crikey, yeah. And I put in for Buchan because you'd gone to Buchan. Because we'd got on so well... You were like, come up to book, and I didn't even know where the fuck Peterhead was. It was a different planet for me. I don't and, think a lot of people did, and I don't think a lot of people had a choice. And you I know, a lot of people didn't want to go. A lot of people did want to go because they'd heard it was the place to be to be posted to. And of course, I just I just put it down because it was Scottish. Simple. I was like, yeah, I'll have some of that. Um, but oh, I had no idea. I don't think anybody. I, I just remember arriving at Newton Farm Lodge and just thinking, "Where the fuck am I? What is this?" You know, water cabins. <laughs> they would not pass any quality test whatsoever these days, would they? You know. Do you know and, the thing is when we left them, they didn't even end their life there. I remember that they, they, they therefore sold them to some company in Spain or something. I'm almost certain. Oh, it's, uh, it's some sort of fucking Heidi High Butlins holiday camp now for... Uh, <laughs> but but do you know what? What a great play. NFL. What, uh, uh, 
most of my memories from booking are at NFL. We had such a group. You've got a group, a, a group of about 20, 30, 17, 18, 19-year-olds all living together. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong, you know? I know. There you go. Pob's, Pob's hit the nail on the head. End of the world. Turn left. Right. You know, and especially when, of course, I'd never, I, I'd met Scottish people before, but I'd never met Peter Hedians before. And I just thought they were speaking. I thought, I'm definitely in a foreign country. Couldn't understand a word half of them were saying, you know. <laughs> so, but it, it, it got easier, though, didn't it? Oh, it got easier, yeah. And like, I know, um, I think Steve, when he was saying his podcast, he didn't quite like Pete Head. I thought Pete Head was great. I thought there was some great little, but not like the main bars. There were some bars out the back and um, even the British Legion, I used to like going in there and having a couple of beers. So, um, <laughs> but like a, funny a funny story about, so we got there in, I got there in February. In the summer of 1990, it was World Cup Italia. Yeah. And everybody loved Marigold who worked in the NAFI. Marigold oh. looked after everybody, right? So Marigold puts on the Italian night. So it's going to be Italian food, Italian drinks. But being the REF, it's not quite what it seems. So the Italian food, of course, was just pizzas. The Italian drinks was wine served in pint glasses. <laughs> yeah. And it was for the semi-final against West Germany against England when all the Scots were wearing the West Germany kits. So yeah. Kev McLaughlin and quite a few, they all went out and bought the West Germany kits. I don't even think I got to the end of the match. 17 and a half drinking pints of wine. <laughs> it was, and that was the sort of thing, you know, encouraged to, I think there were only about 40 pence as well for a pint oh, of wine. Ridiculous, isn't it? And it was the good stuff. I think it was like Blue Nun or... <laughs> it was blue one or it was Lieb Framil or something like that. You know the real nat you know when you, you squint when you drink it, it was real yeah. nat. <laughs> um Mr. Mr. Camsey's uh um I think uh his good lady wife. You. I think that's I think you, that's me. I, I think it's you, mate. <laughs> that's more you, but no um <laughs> but no that obviously we digress there but no 515 it was it was all about jim horn he got he introduced he he yeah. gave me and again back then it wasn't cds he gave me a, a tape of quadrophene yeah. and there isn't there isn't one song on that album that's that's not it's fantastic brilliant we, we, whilst we we're talking about newton farm lodge and then obviously we moved down to like the new site i don't know where but i think that the next your next song I think is kind of related to um well i don't know it's around that time anyway but you, uh it's depeche mode world in world in uh world in my eyes yeah well in my eyes and obviously 1980 1990 around that it was all like the big rave scene it was like acid house and rave and of course i was getting brainwashed into that sort of music and oz mark osborne I met him in the corridor, and if you remember that block that we were, did you say it was called Flamingo Block? Yeah. So when you walked in, you had the foyer area, didn't you? And you could—it was like a, like an L shape that we had. 
and Oz, it was like B-Watch were down one and A-Watch was oh, down another that, one. Oh, that, so Flamingo Block was at NFL. NFL, what was Islay Block or one of those, wasn't it? We were in Orkney Block. Orkney. Yeah. And Oz handed me a seat. Uh, by then it was CDs, and of course we'd been down to, um, um, was it Curry's or whatever, with the old Lombard Tricity. Yeah, I'll have the biggest stereo, the biggest television. Oh, it's... It's £2 a month for the rest of your life. Keep me out. Keep me People's speakers were like this in the room. And he gave me Depeche Mode Violator. And again, it changed my, my outlook on music. I sort of went off that real sort of hardcore rave. Yeah. And, got in, and, and it led to me going to see Depeche Mode around. I've seen them three times now in different locations. And it, it was like my love. It's like, I didn't really listen to them in the 80s, so it wasn't until Oz had given me that CD. And the thing right. with Oz is he was B-Watch, and I didn't really have a connection with Oz. I'd, I'd seen him around and things, and it wasn't until he gave that that we started to get to know each other and speak a bit more. Yeah. So, But ever since that point, I'd Depeche Mode all the way. Depeche Mode. Uh, so what, 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 what sort of other stuff... Um, were you listening to when that came along? Like you, all, you, you... Shite, all this shite rave music, yeah. The <laughs> real, if you, it's like my son's fifteen. All you hear from his room is doof, doof, doof. that's what it was like. So I think what Oz had done is just said this. He obviously needs educating this guy. He needs to listen <laughs> a bit more. And, and and he gave me that CD, and 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 that's when I started to branch out a bit more with my music. So uh, you did, think you did quite a lot of the the raves though, um, uh, with like Ali, didn't you? And Alf, we used to. I went on one with Hammy. We stayed at Hammy's house, and it was a daytime one. With yeah. and the other person we used to go to on every Sunday was was with Doc and Rob Holstead. Yeah, and we used to go to there was like the Hoochie Coochie Bar in Aberdeen, and um, there was another one. I think it was the Ministry of Sin. And on a Sunday, they used to put on, and we used to go, and the guys used to go dressed up in their NBC suits and wear the masks and really get into it. And it was like, I think that's why Ed, Oz went, you need some education. You need to get away from that sort of music. Look at people like sticking Vicks on their balls and stuff like that as well. That did happen, yeah. And they used to have the Vicks... Um, um, used, to, used to take Pro Plus, which is just a yeah. caffeine, and get the Vicks um, um, inhalers. Yeah, I don't. I think the only thing it did is we never had a cold. It didn't do anything else other than just prevent a cold. That was it. But was that not also? Was that not? Was it that scene that not also um, provoked the the use of fishing lights inside your mouth? <laughs> Yeah, 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 we've got some there that the kids play with parties, like long ones. But yeah, you used to get the small fishing lights and people yeah. would snap them and they'd glow. And then, yeah, for 12 hours. But no, we went at. Do you remember, do you remember, us, do you remember us wearing them one night in the Granada? If you remember, Granada went through quite a ravey scene on the Friday night. It used to get quite ravey. And um, yeah, the 2000 watts of power and people started to. I think a lot of people from Peterhead had never ventured out of Peterhead, so they'd um, um, 
selling beer in a paddling pool. <laughs> <laughs> that was very strange at RAF Buck and the amount of people that were from the Middlesbrough area that when I went up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you who else. Um, and I was I was on the phone to him uh, two weeks ago. The G. Uh, two thousand watts. Another 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 person that you mentioned um, from Middlesbrough. Yeah, I was on the phone to him two weeks ago. Alan Didlick, Dids. So there was when I got up there, there was Sarah Payne. Yeah. Gabs. Alf Gabs. Alfie. There yep. was um, Dig. There was uh, myself. There was who else was up there? Um, <laughs> my good lady wife. Your good lady wife, Mike P. Is who I mentioned. Lee and Debbie Hardy were both from um, yep. uh, Billingham. Um, Ross Darlington. Yeah, yep. he was as well. So there's like quite a collection. Yeah, quite um, a few. So um, it just goes to show you how much fucking prospects there was in Middlesbrough. Everybody was getting out of Dodge. Fuck this, we're out of here. So, well, see, whilst we're talking about Middlesbrough, got to ask you this question. What's your favourite Parmo? Okay, there's a place out in um, um, a Great Broughton, Swainby Way, that does the Inferno Parmo. Uh, Parmo. So it's obviously with the, the chilies on the top. And in, in where? Broughton? Yeah, uh, no, in Great Broughton, not Broughton. Oh, Great Broughton, right, that's, okay. That's, that's full of fucking sheep shaggers, Broughton. That's just woolly backs. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> oh, my, oh, oh, my, my good lady wife's going to have some. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad she's over there, not here. She'd be duffing me up with that. But um, <laughs> I actually Great saw you. I, oh, I actually, yeah, Ian was there as well. I was speaking to Ian recently about the football. So, but no, I think, I, th I think there's, um, there was three choices in Middlesbrough. It was yeah. either Brickdale, ICI, or you leave, you get out. Yeah. So, and, and, and an awful lot of people took the get out option. They didn't want to go and work in a steel and they didn't want to go and work in a chemical factory. Yeah. So what, what, what was, what was your reasoning? I was an air cadet and it, so you knew from, from the age of 13, I wanted nothing more than to be in the RAF. Right. Even when I went into the careers at school, they were saying the options are no interest, no interest. Yeah. And then, when, it, I got into, and then when I get got into the RAF, I realized maybe I should have gone to ICI or British Steel. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a wasted four years of, of thinking, yeah, I'm going to anyway. That's another story, that so. <laughs> What's so? What what are your what are your um your your kind of good memories? Uh, because you had how, how long did you have at Buck and then was it about three? Was it, about, was it three years? Three. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Three years. Then I went to Spade, Spade Adam, yeah. and then I went to High Wycombe. Right. Okay. So, which was your what was your favourite tour? All three have got. Pluses, yeah. There's only booking really that had like the minuses, yeah. Because working in that CRC environment, it had, it has its pitfalls, its downfalls. But Spade Adam was that was a boys' club. It was just uh, no waffs allowed because we used to do a lot of deployments out with the techies. So it was just, and obviously it was a low flying range, so it was like an air show every day. And 
High Wycombe, you were there at the same time. It was fucking carnage, that place. It was just, that was off the chart, that place. You know? The job, the job at High Wycombe was a fucking joke. E EAS, I, whoever invented that job, I don't even, I still don't understand what I was doing. But then I, <laughs> then I went into the television studio, which was, fan, you know, Ian Pluck, Paul Gittins. Unbelievable, you know? Golf on Wednesdays, Friday afternoons off, fantastic. You know? Yeah, you did, didn't you? You kind of you were always out early on a Friday. Yeah, Spade Adam was good because we were on deployments all the time, so yeah. we were always stuck in the middle of Carlisle. Uh, sorry, in the middle of Kielder on yeah. a radar, in your boxer shorts, barbecue and drinking beer, and then a week at a time doing that. That was brilliant. Yeah. So. You went to Wickham and then and then you left, right? Yeah, um, two thousand. So, what what would you say? What what would you say is the or, or not maybe the biggest because I'm sure that you learned a lot. But what what would you say um, is the the most valuable lesson that you learned when you were in the Air Force? Huh. That's a good one. Obviously. I'll be honest, I took I took nothing away because I actually went from that environment to working by myself without a team. So I couldn't take any of that, that skill set that I had. Now, I was only in the area for 10 years, yeah? And slowly my interest went off and off and off. So what did I actually... I could sit here and bullshit you about, yeah, teamwork and camaraderie and, you know... But it, it's very difficult to answer that for me. I didn't know you were going to throw that one in, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Trade Group 12 is a very, very specialised job that there's little you can actually take away into the civilian world, right? It's not like you can walk into that sort of job in the in the civilian world unless you're air crew and you end up going on to fra which are hearing t's and things like that yeah right but i could get up in the morning after a heavy night i could iron a shirt yeah i could polish my shoes when i could be bothered so yeah so i mean things like you know things like uh things like discipline and you know having to be like you know the sense of I, I was about to say a sense of reliability. I'm not sure how you feel about that one. Um, you know, there, there, there must be a, a number of things that you, that you think stood you in good stead when you left. When I left, having those three initials on my CV, REF, I have never, ever, ever been out of work. All right? right. Never. People would prefer somebody coming from a military background because they know whatever state you're in the night before, you're at work the next day. You're showered, you're shaved, you're ready, okay? A yeah. student coming out, they come with a reputation of lounging around, not doing so much. So that, uh, Okay, I could take 10 years of saying it's military experience. Some of that is not applicable out in the real world, huh? Yeah. And I... Yeah. And I think you see. I think perhaps you're you're doing yourself a disservice there because I, what I've seen, and we've both been out for a very very long time. 
and I, I, I see, uh, obviously, um, it, people coming out at different sides of the spectrum. So there are people coming out and they're very, very scared um, and they're very worried about how they're going to be able to transition and, yeah. uh, and underplay the experience that they actually have gained, you know, because when you when you you spend a lot of time in, you know, even managing kind of small projects and being able to coordinate things and kind of like you say having to deliver things having the pressures of time put on you and having yeah. to get right first time all of these things are, are massively important and some people come out and they don't recognize that but there's also people at the other end of the spectrum that i've come across that come out and think that they're billy big balls and that they're just going to go straight into a job and that they're going to set the world on fire and yeah. so the, you know, you're, you're wrapped up in cotton wool a lot in the Air Force, okay? So you're saying about delivering and things like that. Like when I worked in the television studio, yes, there was time skills, but there was no real pressure. Not like pressure when you're out in City Street realising that if you don't get it right, there is somebody behind you that will take your job quite easily, right? Yes. So Navy Street, the pressures, I would say, is a lot more than being in that environment. And don't forget those first couple of years when we were young and we were just arsing about. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, was no real, there was no real worry about, oh, I'm going to get thrown out or I'm not going to get paid this month or they're going to kick me out of my accommodation. I'm not going to get fed. Mm -hmm. So you are really right. And I think that's one of the hardest transitions about coming out of military and going into Syria is, you lose that cut. You would lose that, that, that protection that you've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know the structure there. I, mean, it's, I, I talk about it. Um, you know, I, I left because I wanted freedom from it. That that was that was what I you know that's what I strived for having freedom to be able to do what I wanted when I wanted. Um, you know, I didn't. We were similar. I, we didn't really like being t even after ten years. Didn't really like being told what to do. Um, you know, managed to play the game a little bit better towards the end, but it was like I left for the freedom, and but then the, the freedom was a bit too much, um, and, yeah. it, and it can be for some people. It's like, you know, all that freedom, not don't know what to do with it. You know, no structure, and you, all of a sudden you're not being told what to do. Um, yeah, like you yeah. Said, but you're still structured, aren't you? You still know you've got to get up in the morning. You still know you've got to go smart. You still got to be, you know, you've. You, you, you've got to present yourself well. You can't just sort of fall off the scales. But I left for a different reason. I left for financial reasons, okay? And yeah. what it was, if you recall when we were at High Wycombe, when we were on the shift pattern, a lot of people worked a second job. So a lot of people either worked at Avis or um, Target, and they were earning extra money. So you were getting three, £400 extra. Then when I went into the, um, the studio, I lost that. But I relied on it. So if you recall, I ended up doing a paper round. Me and Neil Wilkinson were doing paper rounds at the ages of 27 to supplement. That. Yeah. To supplement what we were getting because we'd obviously been used to this extra money. And then you may recall early on that I was talking about there was two Dan Pierces in the RAF. Yeah. Yeah. And the tall Dan Pierce left to work in London. And I remember him coming to High Wycombe in his Lotus, nice suit. And I just thought, that's me. I've got to get out. I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to so I'm going to struggle if I if I stay in the air force. And that's why I, I PVR and came out of the air force because 
financially it didn't make sense for me to stay in and do 12 years right okay that was that was going to be my next question about about why you asked and what was your what remind me what was the uh, because i i remember this in fact i remember meeting your boss jason in in the first job that you got after you oh. left and the reason i remember him is because he rocked up in a it was like around that time he rocked up you brought him on you brought did you bring him into the corporals club no i had a party in, my, in your house i had a party at the house yeah and i think right. that's it he had a you had a party at the house and i remember yeah. I remember going in and meeting him, and he and he had like a pair of moccasins on and no socks. And I was like, "My God, you can't be doing that well if you can't even afford a pair of socks." Oh, Jason, was, that was he, cool. Apparently, he was a typical London boy. You know that he he had I the mean, nice car, he had the nice shirts, jeans rolled up. I wasn't interested in any of that. But <laughs> I came out of the air force to fucking be a photocopyist salesman, right? Photocopiers. Do you know how hard it is to sell photocopiers to people that have got photocopiers, right? So there's all the promise of you can make big money. And Dan Pierce, tall Dan Pierce, he was selling fax lines in London. Right. So I thought, like, if he can do that, I can do this. Within two months of becoming a photocopier salesman, I was creaming it. I was making money. And the reason I was making money is they had two offices, one in Hounslow near Heathrow Airport and yeah. one in, in Banbury. But the one in Banbury had all the engineers in. And I learned very quickly that if I took donuts to those guys and was nice to them, they would tell me all the photocopiers that were on the blink. So I would then phone them up and say, I think you need a new photocopier. Get their contracts and see what they were paying. Yeah. Do a deal, put and these lads were going, fucking up. you've only been doing this for two months. How are you doing this? It's because I was pushed up there with all the all the engineers and they were giving me all the information of who had a shit photocopier. So, <laughs> so I think after well, the third or the fifth month, I was salesman of the month, and everybody's looking like fucking who's this superstar? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Donuts. Give the fucking techies donuts quids in. Oh, brilliant. Uh, Mr. Hamilton's in, saying uh, good evening as well. I used to enjoy having a beer with um, Hammy and uh, Mark James. I used to enjoy... What was the name of the pub when you came out of the, the gate at um, Bodham and you turned left? And it was... You used to go and play cards in there with Hammy and Mark James, yeah. Mark, Mark James used to drink in the Roxley all the time. Yeah. I think he had his own seat and his own cup in there, like his own pot in there as well, you know? <laughs> and that was that was a proper sawdust bar, that one. That was, you know. I remember in London, you know, you you know, you made me miss the dartboard. Oh. That's a place. Yeah, it was. There you go. Yeah, Hammy <laughs> Hammy remembers the Roxley. Yeah. And Hammy back in his day, he could fucking put some tenants down him. He could drink. And I mean, when we used to go on day sessions after our first night shift, I think Hammy was always the last man standing. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Toasties pulling darts. Yeah. 
Do you know, that's interesting because there were a few guys that, would, that did the rock slide. I always remember that um, the B-Watch guys always yeah. did the, the, they always did a place in, in Cruden Bay. Um, there was, uh, oh, and Paul Langdon would need to, to, to remember because they were, they were pals with the guy that owned the boozer in, in Cruden Bay and they used to rock up off nights to Cruden Bay. It was a pub across the road from the golf course. And they would be like standing out, knocking on the knocking on the door at eleven o'clock, and this guy would be like, "Hold on, <laughs> I'll be down in a minute." They'd be literally, they would off nights, have some breakfast, shower and change out, knocking on the door. Remember, um, so we were young, very young, and obviously your corporals are there to supposed to guide you, right? Paul Clayfield, Taff Langdon, Trev Green, fucking Dave Pierce, right? Fraser Watt. The only place they used to stay to is where are we going drinking tonight? You know? <laughs> and, and like I said, I never got into trouble for underage drinking, but I did get into trouble if I wasn't in the bar where I was supposed to be drinking. And the, you know, you used to get complaints. Where were you last night? I had a quiet night. What do you mean you had? A f What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. You know. <laughs> and it was honestly and. I've told you the story about what I think about binge drinking. I think binge drinking was invented by the REF. You know, anybody that has like an AOC's inspection and then suddenly decides to put on twofers for everybody, so two drinks for the price of 30 pence, they're just asking for trouble, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. there you go. Uh, the Fairways was the pub. Um, that uh, the uh, yeah, there you go. Mo's Mo's said saying there the fairway, yeah, yeah. crikey, yeah. Liam was, thought, Liam was the landlord, apparently. <laughs> I was surprised with Mo's story saying that he was actually in Bishop's Court, but he just used to come to book. And I thought he was at book and he had one of these secret jobs. I did, I, I thought I thought the same. I thought he was actually posted there. I met talking to him a couple of weeks ago and was saying. You weren't actually you weren't actually posted at that time. Nope. We just used to come to visit. He used to be out drinking every Friday and Saturday night. So I just thought he was part of the furniture. I thought he was at RAF Booking. Oh, crazy. So so after you left, um yeah. uh that that was obviously in uh was it two when was it? So I came out officially February two thousand, but I actually left before Christmas because of leave and resettlement and things like that. So yeah, yeah. So and and in that in that time, so in that in that sort of that time frame, just as a as a bit of a line, yeah. So around the kind of two thousand ish. Yeah. Now, social media, um, and I remember this because it kind of frequently pops up. Social media became a bit of a thing. Yeah. And, around about 2007 and Facebook kind of started and a lot of, uh, you know, so there, there was a, a kind of period where, you know, a lot of people lost touch. I started, I guess, around 2007, 2008, starting to kind of reconnect with a number of people on yeah. Facebook. But you, you, weren't, you weren't around then. In fact, you weren't around for kind of quite a while after that as well. You you made like a bit of a, a, a sort of flying appearance. And I remember speaking to you a few times on social media and then all of a sudden it was like as we would say in the trade your response was gone you went was, off the radar yeah so what 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 happened 
Yeah. You're right. About 2007, I think, is Facebook seemed to take off. Yeah. And we seem to get into this habit of just fucking adding any old person as a friend, right? So person, people that you might have stood next to in the fucking chip shop, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll add you to Facebook, you know. And then, you know. <laughs> but there was a thing where, of course, a lot of REFP, I, I think it even goes a step before, if you remember with things like Friends Reunited. Yeah, yeah. And, and then obviously Facebook came in. And I, what it was, I was, I was working in the south of France. I was in Marseille. And I'd posted something about having a good day. And I got some really negative comments like, oh, well, fucking why are you having a great time? Yeah, I do do that. He's right. It, I, I, thought I, drift, I drift in and drift out. And I got really negative comments. And then I started to look at the names that I had on there. And out of the 500, 550 I had on there, I probably only knew about 30 people. And I thought, fuck oh, yeah. And I just cut it off. I cut Facebook off and I went radar silent. I thought, that's it. Because I've been posting some nice things, where I've been doing, what I've been doing, and people were sort of, there was some really negative comments, and I thought, I don't need it. I don't need negative. I don't I don't want it. So I got rid of it. And I've, I've got Facebook back, but I've only got about 30 people on there, and it's majority family. So when I am away working, they can see what I'm up to and things like that. So yeah. it, was, it was nothing that I've, Fuck you, I'm not interested. It was just one or two people spoiled it with the <laughs> negative. Talk. Yeah, I thought you're all fucking pricks, and I just thought at the end of two thousand. <laughs> yeah, two thousand. I thought that chapter's closed. Fucking see you later. Not interested. But no, yeah. that I, I even went to a, an RAF reunion, which was Spike will tell you if Andy Holmes is still on was an absolute fucking disaster. Because we met up with all the guys, the die guys. So it was Taff Langdon, Dave Barber, Dave Pike, Andy O'Hare, me and Spike. And we turned up about six hours after them. And they were absolutely cattled. <laughs> I don't even think Dave Barber left the hotel because he was so drunk. And me and Spike ended up, yeah, Newcastle. And we, we only went to one pub. It was the train station. And me and, me and Andy left after about an hour because the amount of bull... You just couldn't understand what was being said. Do you, and, know, do you know... You might not know this. Karen and I were actually supposed to go to that. And we had a hotel booked. And we had to cancel at last minute because I had to take her to the... The dentist for emergency, um, like uh, problems with her teeth, um, because it wasn't it. Yeah, I remember. I remember it well. Because we were. My we understanding were was this was supposed to be a big, massive trade group twelve reunion. Yeah. When I walked into that railway bar, I think it's called in Newcastle. There was like six people, right? And four of them were completely arsehole. and it was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> Andy had come all the way from uh, from where, Dublin. Yeah, you come all the way from where? From Dublin. No, I don't think it was that far. It was West Country somewhere, some Manchester area, something like that. Oh, Andy, Andy, Andy Holmes. Andy Holmes. Oh, sorry. Andy, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say Andy Holmes. Andy O'Hare would be over from from Ireland, wouldn't he? Yeah, what well, fucking and that's sort of like I thought. Three group 12 reunions, yeah, uh, left a little bit of a sour taste that. So, 
He like Paul Langdon saying Stoke. That's how drunk he was. It was Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they've had a number of those reunions, though, um, uh, quite uh, quite frequently as well. So, um, but l- listen, last 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 song. Let's let, before we, we kind of go you, the the last oh, song. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in this last song because it's a bit dark. It's a it's a, a bit of a darker one. Um, and not a band that I was into at the time, um, and a bit different. I didn't really, I didn't know that you listened to these. So it's, it's the mission that you've gone for, yeah. Uh, and Tower of Strength. Tell us what the the, the story with that one is. It's exactly what you've just said. It's that dark song. It's that whenever I felt was feeling a little bit low, a little bit down, especially at Booking, and towards the end of Booking, it kind of affected me and. That's how I managed to get out. I managed to get out of Booking within two weeks. This was a song that I went to. And if you actually listen to the words about the Tower of Strength, it was just a song that's, even though you say it's dark, it, it kind of picks you back up. It's quite quite an upbeat, dark song. Yeah. And I think Dave Large as well, I think he used to listen to this as well. I think, he, yeah, I thought Dave Large used to like it, but it might have been Dave... Uh, Ash that I'd, that I'd heard it from because I'd never listened to that music before, yeah. And it was just it was just one of those songs when I was feeling a bit like I said towards it in the booking for me was it was quite a difficult time. I had to get out, and that song just used to put that spring back in your step. I know it, if you listen to it first, it it doesn't sound like it, but it did. It put that spring just back in your step and got me got me back on a level ground. So. Yeah. There so you go. But no, I I had I had listened to it tonight as well. Like I say, not one that I I listened a lot to, but um, I had listened to it tonight. I know I remember a lot of folk that, that were into the mission, um, but uh, yeah, not one that I uh, not one that um that I listened to a lot. But I'd listened to it tonight and thought, yeah, it's it's like you say, and a lot. I remember a lot of people used to uh listen to Radiohead for the very same reason. They'd, they'd listen to Radiohead to cheer cheer themselves up. And I never used to get that. I'd be like, you listen to Radiohead to cheer yourself up. <laughs> okay, oh, Jim Stevenson, OK Computer. That's what I remember. You could you could name people in the RAF and I could give you a song. Um Hammy's on about that. We went me and Hammy were very fortunate we managed to get tickets to go and see Leeds at Leeds Roundhay Park, Genesis and Lisa Stansfield and Runrig. And Hammy, Hammy wasn't always the slim chap that he used to be, right? <laughs> and Hammy, and I obviously wasn't, I think me and Hammy have reversed roles, so he's now, but Hammy was on my fucking shoulders for listening to the full Lisa Stansfield concert, yeah? So... <laughs> And we were right in front, and that took that took its toll on me. I had to sit at the side for the Genesis gig after that. But yeah, that that that, that, that was a good night. Yeah. So you're going on about Runrig there. It wasn't until I got to Peterhead that yeah. I got into all of these Scottish bands. I'd never heard, obviously I'd never Hue and Cry. I'd heard of you know some. But like the likes of Runrig, and when that used to come on, and the whole place would just go absolutely, oh, what's this? You know, they would go go nuts, wouldn't they? And the other thing I remember about booking was Scottish football, the old firm game. How guys who were friends 
up until this Saturday when there was, and then they would just divide, you know. <laughs> and and of course you got, I, th I think you got six games a year, didn't you? Played three three each, home and away. So for six yeah. times they wouldn't fucking speak to each other. They wouldn't even and and a few people when they'd had a big drink and stuff like that, there was things said. I couldn't believe that. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, it was, it's all coming out now. <laughs> no, the, 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 the early days for me, booking the early days was fantastic. Fantastic. Because you said to me, the one thing that I've always missed about the Air Force is the social life. The social life, you couldn't go wrong, you know? The, the, there was all, There was never a moment you couldn't find somebody to go for a drink with. There was never a moment that you could not play a sport, football, cricket, rugby, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of people, when they leave the military, that's the thing they miss the most, is that is that social aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, so, we, so we, we might we might get you along to some kind of uh, uh, get-together at some point then, maybe? I was meant to come to Belfast last year, and I apologise. I ended up going to America instead, so... And working, so yeah. yeah. We'll have to get this. Let's get this pandemic out of the way. Let's get everybody jabbed up. Let's get everybody safe. Then let's get everything back on track again. You know. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll we'll, we'll definitely sort something out. Um, uh, absolutely. But you have you you have travelled a fair bit since you left the Air Force, haven't you? Yeah. Probably travelled an awful lot more since you left than when you were in, right? I went fucking nowhere with the Air Force. I was one of the... Uh, I tell you what, I, I was in Portland, Maine, and I was working with a young lad, and he had all the stickers on his car about the military, and he'd been in the Marines for five years, and I told him I was in the Air Force for 10. And he's <laughs> like, oh, okay, you know, thank you for your service. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. You don't know what the fuck I did. In his five years as a Marine, he'd been to Afghanistan, Right. Three times. I went to the Falklands for four months. That was it. Oh, and I went to Tenby in Wales to fire some plastic missiles at planes. So when when I got sent my badge to say our uh, HM Forces veteran, and I was yeah. like, five years as a Marine and three tours in Afghanistan, 10 years in the RAF, and you went to Tenby in Wales. Am I a veteran or am you know? I was like, oh, you know. So yeah, I didn't do much traveling in the RAF. Right. So tell me, tell me. I, I know that uh, I know that of all of the uh, the places that you went to, and we've spoken about a few of them recently. Yeah. Um, about you know about um, uh, your time out in the states. Um, I remember you tell me about uh, some of the time you spent in the Bahamas. But what I don't know about is Amsterdam, two thousand and ten. Uh, obviously, I'm on a bit of a, a big fitness drive at the moment as well. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and in 2010, you were going to run the or did run the Amsterdam Marathon. There was no going to. I did run. So I was in the south of France and I trained for four months. And what it was, I was on holiday and we, we met a couple, got quite pally with him. He was big into running, had big friends in the London Marathon. I was 38 at the time and I went, I'm going to do fucking 10 marathons before the time I'm 40, right? That right. was before I ran my first ever marathon, right? It, the number 26 is a small number. 
trust me, 26 miles is it's it's not a small number, okay? So I train, and the reason we chose Amsterdam, it's flat. So right. and you could have coffee afterwards, right? We I'll tell you, we did go out the night after the marathon, but I could hardly walk. <laughs> and I trained for this marathon. I trained, I trained, I trained. And for the first 13 miles, I was flying. I did I did it in 90 minutes. Now, that puts you onto a three-hour marathon, which is, that's pretty good going, right? And I, I don't know if you've ever ran, but you get like an electronic tag that you put on your shoe. Yeah. And at the 13-mile point, there's a line which it, it times you at 13. Yeah. Something happened to me after that line because I got marathon Tourette's after that. And I vowed for the next 30 miles that I would never, ever, ever run a fucking marathon again. And I kept saying it. And one of the worst things they do on running is they give you your number and your name. Yeah. So people are going, come on, Paul. That last 30 miles, I was cursing everybody. Shut fuck you. What do you mean? Fucking you come and do this, right? And, and, and the last... The last 13, so the second stage of the 30, I did in three hours. So I ended up with a time of four hours 30. I was really slow. What makes matters worse is in Amsterdam, you have to finish in a stadium and everybody's clapping. So you come into the centre and stadium, run round. So you run around the bend. So it's almost like 250 metres. The last 100 metres, I'm on the last straight. I thought I'll pick up a bit of energy. Fucking Zorro runs past me, a guy in a cape. A fucking, you know, he's got his cape, his mask on, a sword, and fucking beats me. I've just done four and a half hours running, cursing and swearing, to get pipped by Zorro. <laughs> I took my medal and went, you can stick the other nine. And that after that, I was like, and I didn't run for about two years after that. I went, I'm not doing I'm done. Had enough. <laughs> and anybody thinking of running a marathon, don't do it. It's fucking agonizing it's awful stick to 10 k's that's comfortable <laughs> but on the night time we went out and we had a great night in amsterdam so yeah. and the next day i flight to london to get a visa for amsterdam uh, sorry for vietnam i nearly missed the flight i nearly missed everything so <laughs> so I absolutely love it just be careful what you what you say before you know 10 marathons nah, 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 nah. So that was that. <laughs> One and done. And it was nearly half and done. And it was just that I, I had to get, I, I struggled on that last 13 miles. I really did. And what yeah. they have on the, on, on the marathons, they have guys, they have pacemakers. So they have a time. So two and a half hours, three hours. Four, and you, if you follow them, then it'll give you a good time. Yeah. I, I went up. Billy, I, you know, you said Billy Big Balls. That was me at that marathon. Fucking, here we go. I can do this. Fucking car crash, second. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Listen, I, I, I've, I've had a great time, and you know we could spend all night here as well. Um, uh, we're, we're at quarter past nine. I've got one more question. I've got uh, loads to go through. No, I'm joking. Huh? <laughs> um, look how me say, no, uh, no Eddie Izzard, the Blades man then. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, Eddie Izzard, 30, what he just did there, even on a treadmill, I know. That that takes some doing. And if you watch Eddie Izzard when he does the ones in Africa, he had to stop halfway through because his body was just like, 
what are you doing to me, you know? How many did he do over there? Was it about 40 or something? Yeah, because what you've got, is it, is it called the Comrades, which is where you run in the African desert and you do something like, uh, it's so, I think it's something like 28 marathons in 28 days. Not just the thought of running the marathons. You've then got fucking lions and fucking rhinoceroses and hippopotamuses, and you're like, you know, it, that, that is the ultimate, that, you know? That hardcore. Uh, well, listen, before we go, yeah, I, I just have to ask one more question. And it's not the one that I, I normally ask because I, you, you've, you've answered a number of questions that, uh, that have, uh, have kind of shown how you apply your, your, your kind of JFDI. Yeah. Um, but this last question relates to something that we both JFDI a, a number of years ago. But I can't remember whose idea was it to get those fucking scooters. I think there was three of us that went to Aberdeen that day, right? So there was me, you, and I think it might have been Guy, Alfie. Yeah. But yeah. Two of us came back. Now, as young men with nothing else to spend their money on, I think we just saw these scooters gleaming in the shop and thought, that's what we need to go from the naffy to the block. <laughs> yeah. Now, it obviously raised a lot of eyebrows at the time that why are these men that are serving in the military riding around on children's scooters? So, Do you remember where they went? Did Was it not was it not Dougie Manson's kids that got them or something? I would imagine it was somebody's children, yeah. <laughs> and let's be honest, quite rightly so. so um, but did we not say, well, you can have them? Um, but you're going to have to put the brakes on because did we not take the brakes off? Them? I think we did. And if you remember back then as well, the shell suit was in fashion. So not yeah. only were we on scooters, but we were riding around in these awful shell suits as well. With uh, Yeah, I, can, I, I, could over, I could see the curtains twitching in those NFL blocks. They must have just thought, what a fucking pair of idiots these two are. And many of the people watching tonight will probably remember that exactly themselves. <laughs> yeah. What a pair of idiots. No, but you know what? You joined up, you're young. Uh, you know, I'd never left home before I joined that. And then it was, you're thrown in. It was like Butlins on steroids, NFL, right? It was just one big, massive party all the time. Yeah. So. It was inevitable somebody was going to get scooped. Is it just had to be me and you? That's all it was. <laughs> I love it. Listen, hang around in the old green room. Um, yes. Thank you so much indeed uh, for that tonight. I've had an absolute blast. Listen, uh, it's been really nice to see all the people flashing up. Obviously, there's a lot of memories. You know, yeah. we didn't even touch on people like Yvette Winterbottom and Joe Townsend when we used to tape them to tables and leave them for six hours on night shifts. So we've obviously glossed over them sort of stories, haven't we? I, that's probably best, isn't it? <laughs> Back in 1990, it was acceptable. I think these days it's off to jail. Do not, if you pass go, do not get you 200, you know? So, I know. <laughs> so. any, final, any final words for the, for the folk that have tuned in? Do you know what? Everybody that I've seen there, I've got story. I remember everybody. We had some great times, and a lot of those people are back from like the A Watch days when we were young, and it was all good fun. 
you know, before before I had to start taking it serious and it got a bit boring. So <laughs> wonderful. Listen, thank you very much uh for coming on. Uh for sharing, for sharing the stories, for sharing yeah. the tunes. Um and uh anybody that, that pops over onto Instagram in a little bit, um, I will play uh one or two of those songs. I and think I'm I think you should get one of these WREFs on to give their side of the stories because they were just as bad as those boys, huh? Well, do you know what? Um, do you know what? Uh, who was it that uh, who was it that uh, g that gave a big shout out to the girls recently? Um, uh, who was it? Was it uh, was it was it more? Uh, yep, Bernadette Perkins on here. I can only imagine that her stories will trump everybody's, even probably Andy Holmes. So her, her name, her name was mentioned. I, d I have approached my good lady wife and asked her if the, if she would uh, if she would spend some uh, some time on here with me. I'll, I mean, she's she's still watching. Um, you, you can just imagine what she said to me. I think I've got more chance of getting both my daughters on. Uh, that might that might be a that might be a good one. People might <laughs> no, or maybe not for me. <laughs> oh, there it is, there it is. Go on, go on. One, what, one, one last story. Tell people what the story, the the deal with that is. So I, we were drinking one night, and your good lady wife and my wife at the time made me up, and as you can see with the makeup on, and then you decided to put it on a CD. Did you have blue? Did you have blue nail polish, nail nail varnish on as well? I did yeah. And my daughter tonight, my daughter who's ten, asked me tonight if I was gay before, and I said to her, I wasn't, but my boyfriend was. To which she <laughs> just looked at me and thought, "What?" Are you? And then, and then you could see a little mind ticking, and she's like, "So you're straight now, then?" And I, my wife just went, "You're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot." So. <laughs> Well, maybe, well, maybe uh, I've I've got I I know that I've got my copy of that in here somewhere as well. Yeah. Um, well, maybe uh, we'll maybe play a few. Uh, do you want to read out a few of the tunes, that, a few of the songs that are on there? So there's obviously like Abba Dancing Queen. You've got Wham, I'm Your Man, Village People, absolute classic. The <laughs> Communards, Right Said Fred. Oh yes. The Club, Soft <laughs> Erasure. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie goes to Hollywood. Um, Queen, I want to break free. Um, yeah. And one of my all-time favourites, it's raining men by the weather girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, my my sister is. Uh, uh, come on, Fiona's. Come on, and, and do you know what? I think she's right. She said, "Has mum not got one too?" I think that I was playing this when my mum and dad were over, and my mum said to me. Um, oh, that's a good album. Can you do me a copy of it? I think she does have a copy of that. Maybe, maybe we should um, uh, we knock up the playlist or let's sell the CDs. How much How much should we sell it for? A tenner? I think we might have to give people... I think this is the sort of thing that you see in one of those, um, you know, like the um, petrol station baskets. <laughs> but I'll tell you, there's not one song on there that would not get me up on the dance floor, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Opinion is split, mate. Um, Hammy says great tunes. Absolutely. Um, Mr. Camsey says. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, Mr. Camsey, obviously, he doesn't know good music. There's 19 songs of absolute pleasure on this album, right? Yeah. 
Well, here's what Karen thinks. And she's probably right, you know. <laughs> and don't that, you she's know. probably right. Let us to say goodnight. <laughs> and we didn't even touch on any of the Falkland stories. I've got a million of them, but that we'll leave that for another time. So I, do you know what? I'm I'm glad that um there's a couple of people that haven't tuned in because uh I uh, oh look, he made a comment at the start. And I'm going to just play this. Let him have the last word. He's been quiet. I think he's got a message for you. <laughs> I could tell you a story about me and the other, and that damn Pierce about that, but I won't. Because it'll embarrass <laughs> it. It'll embarrass. He would have never made it to sergeant if I tell him the story. <laughs> I asked him if he would come on here as well, and he told me to fuck off. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Do you know why he doesn't want to come on? Because it would just it, it would get him into so much more trouble. That's what it is, you know. <laughs> I know. Listen, thank you very much indeed, uh, folks, for tuning in. Uh, it's been brilliant. Thank you for all your comments. Oh, Still got it. I think. Uh, we will be back next week. And if you remember when all of this started over on Instagram last August, uh, we started this with Mr. Alistair back. And next week, we're going to end this little section of the podcast um, by picking up with Mr. Back again. Um, uh, really looking forward to it. So if you'd like to join us for more chat about tunes, and you can be guaranteed... Um, as with you've seen with Paul tonight, there'll be a lot of thought has gone in uh, to the to the songs because Ali Back um, wasn't always Mister Law Fifty Five. He started off as uh, so. What let's let let let's remind people of his DJ names. Do you remember he started off with was it Flex? I remember we called him obviously Al Ski because of Norm Ski and Dance Energy, didn't we? So yeah. Al Ski was a big one. Then there so, was DJ Flex. Then there was DJ Funky Bass. <laughs> Do you remember that? I think I'd left by then. I think <laughs> I, I think I was still with Ali when he had the two old turntables. And I think once he got his twelve tens, that's when I that once he started to get professional. Yeah. You know, I used to like the old one when the fucking smoke would come out of it, and we were trying to control the pitch on it and things. So that the good old days. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so we're going to have Ali on next week. So tune in. Um, we, you've bro we've broken the record tonight. Um, I think Mo, we, we thought, was long, an hour and a quarter. It would appear that we've been on almost an hour and a half, mate. <laughs> I didn't even tell the story about when I was OIC windsurfing at REF Spade Adam. And people yeah, anyway. <laughs> anything in the REF. OIC windsurfing. So when you said what did I, I took that from the raft, I become OIC windsurfing. I love it. Well, let windsurf off into the green room and we'll <laughs> yeah. in a all right. Bye bye to everybody. It was nice. <laughs> fucking Taff Langdon owes me a proper night out. <laughs>